All right, how's everyone doing? Are we good? Sounds like everyone's good. We uh, was really unique um, last week, as in, I guess, two Fridays ago at Bible Club, we taught kids about sharing their testimony, what it means to share your testimony, what it means to, um, yeah, live your faith vocally as well. So essentially, we shared with kids the three parts of a testimony is who you were before you met Christ, how you met Christ, and what your life has been like ever since. So um, every other week, we have kids volunteer to share with their peers their testimony. So last Friday, we had two kids, a boy and a girl, stand up to uh, share their testimony to their 30, 35 other friends in the class. And um, it was really cool to hear their story and help them develop those. And um, yeah, God is on the move. So we're going to do it every other week because, you know, you try to tell kids five minutes, you try to tell me five minutes, and you, you get more than five minutes, right? So um, yeah, so essentially, um, in two weeks, we'll have two other kids who have volunteered to share their testimony. And it's one thing, it's one thing to live a private life with Christ. It's one thing to come to church and come to Bible club, but it's another thing to stand up amongst your peers and say, I am following Jesus. Amen? So it was really cool to see that. So keep that in prayer. And then um, at the football game Friday, um, a girl came up, not a Bible clubber, but someone we see often. She came up and she said, hey, was your church having a revival last Saturday? If you call a harvest party a revival, yes. <laughs> we were having a revival. But it's just unique, you know, the more that, that we engage our community, the more questions people have. Um, it was also funny, someone came up um, Friday night at the game and they were disappointed and frustrated about something that was going on. So they were cussing, like not at us, but just cussing. And then they went off and then yesterday, they had to text the pastor. They don't go to church here. I don't even know if they go to church, but they had to text the pastor to make sure that um, they apologized for all the uh, cussing. And I said, well, just don't tell anyone when you hear me cuss, okay? <laughs> the point of that is the more that we get to engage our community, the more that we get to be salt and light. Salt is a preservative, right? The more that we get to be be in our community, the more that um, they get to encounter the love of Jesus. Amen? So I just want to encourage you guys to continually find ways. I don't think we always grow the church by harvest parties. I don't think we always grow the church through Thanksgiving outreaches. I think most of the time we grow the church by individuals passionately falling in love with Jesus, accepting him, and then loving their neighbor, and their neighbor being everyone that they interact with that day. Amen? Just love that person. We don't have to. What you, what you um, win people with, you have to keep people with. So what that means, if we have lights and harvest parties every week, that means we're going to have to keep people with lights and harvest parties every week. What's easier to keep people with is you being a normal person. Hey, I cussed. I'm sorry. I told a joke. I shouldn't have shared it. But Jesus is my Savior. Jesus changes my life and you live that out with your neighbor and be vocal about it each day, that we'll see a generation, we'll see a village, we'll see communities changing. So stand up for Christ today and represent him. Amen? Amen. All right.
That's your third sermon of the day. Um, just one announcement that I currently have right now is we will be praying on Tuesday. Remember, from 12 to 6, we just want to find a time to set aside to pray for our church families, um, people who are in need. And we are still praying for the packs. We're still carrying a burden for the packs. We want to lift them up that God's peace and clarity would uh, come to them. And then we also want to pray for Delton and Fernie, um, as Fernie has uh, cancer. And they lost Caleb a couple years ago. So we want to continually pray for them. Amen? We want to carry that burden. So from 12 to 6, find some time to not eat, to pray, to intentionally invite God into the situation. Nevertheless, I think that's all I got. So let's pray, and we'll get into the sermon today. Father, we need you this morning, and we just invite you here to be in our midst. If you want to shake the ceiling, shake the floor, if you want to blow through us like the day of Pentecost, you're welcome to do that. If you want your word to just bring transformation to us this morning, do that. I pray that you give us eyes to see, minds to comprehend, ears to hear, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you turn my microphone down just a little bit? So today we will, I'm not going to say we're in Galatians. I'm just going to say we're in God's word. Because people keep on asking, are we done yet? Are we done yet? So today we will look at God's word. And uh, it just happens to be that we will be in Galatians chapter 6. So what Paul is doing here is at the latter piece of his letter, he's making sure that the Galatians understand that they have liberty, but they still have responsibility. So just because we have liberty doesn't mean that there's not a standard. So liberty and responsibility can go hand in hand. So Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens... And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This ties into, of course, what we learned last week, right? It's one additional verse. As we carry people's burdens, it helps gently restore them. And as we restore them, we will fulfill the law of Christ. So the question has to be asked, what is the law of Christ? Well, we've already really learned the law of Christ over the past couple years. We've mentioned it throughout many of the books of the Bible that we have gone through. Already in Galatians 5, we have um, the law of Christ is this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what the law of Christ is. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. The law of Christ. To love one another. James calls it the royal law. 
That was a couple years ago, so I'm not sure if you remember it, but it was uh, James 2, 8 and 9. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So what is um, the law of Christ? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, we shouldn't be confused with this because some of us say, well, I don't love myself really well. No, you want the best for yourself all the time. Now, some, sometimes we have pity parties for ourselves. That's not, if we have pity parties for ourselves, we shouldn't have pity parties for other people. We want, I want the best for me. I want the best for Macy. I want the best for my family. I want the best for my church family. That's what scripture is saying. No favorites. Just um, love God's people. It's easy to have favorites in here. See, we all deny it. My parents deny it. My siblings try to play it. We all know that I'm the favorite in the family. We just know it. Sammy gets babied. Randy gets all the attention. And I'm just the favorite. And by favorite, that means I never get Christmas presents. My mom forgot my 30th birthday. I'm on the phone with her on my 30th birthday. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. And she got off the phone and never said anything. 30th. I thought the 30th birthday is when you truly became an adult. I guess not. She forgot about it. I let her forget about it too. So scripture says don't have favorites. But the idea of this is whether parents have favorites or not, I don't know. But we do have people that we prefer more than others, don't we? Anyone in here have people that they prefer more? We have favorites. We have people that we say, in the body of Christ, I'll go camping with this person, but this person I might not. Anyone in here would go camping with me? Any of you not go camping with me? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> Will I shut up? Will I quit talking? There's this, so, so what Christ is saying, or what Paul is saying is this, is love has no favorites. We don't just love the people that, can, that benefit us. We don't just love the people that are easy for us to love. The law of Christ is to love everyone. Amen? That's hard. I fail at it. We cannot miss that loving people requires that we carry burdens for them. That's what Paul is getting at here. As we love people, we uh, will carry burdens for them. Loving people means we restore them out of their burdens because of love. Because carrying people's burdens is a piece of fulfilling the law. Do you remember when Paul mentioned in Galatians 5 that we are not to be burdened by the yoke of slavery? Galatians 5.1, if you don't remember it. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Each day, we are to wholeheartedly stand for freedom that Christ has given us to walk in confidence that we do not need to earn our way to heaven. Amen? But many of us have and will encounter 
people who try to put us under the law of the Old Testament. The rules, the requirements, the sacrifices, the attendance, the obligation, the pressure. There's been many times that I've tried to earn my way back to Christ. You do something wrong, so you try to earn your way back to Christ. And then there's been people who have tried to say, well, you cussed, you can't be in the kingdom. You this, you can't be in the kingdom. You've been divorced, you can't be in the kingdom. You, you've drank, you can't be in the kingdom. And they, they start to put these rules and these laws and this yoke of slavery on people. Does anyone ever feel like they've had a yoke of slavery on them based upon people putting things on you? See, Jesus actually rebukes those who puts burdens on people. Luke eleven forty six, Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. What people have done wrongly is use scripture as an instrument of control or domination. People have used the title, their position, or reputation as a way to burden people. People have burdened people just to win arguments. I've burdened people just to win arguments. See, because sometimes we can use all of our gifting just to win. Anyone ever used any of their gifting just to win an argument? The rest of you are just unaware of it yet. Lord, don't let them be deceived. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes, and the meaning of the book wasn't even there, is it was a John, Mac John Maxwell was talking about growing church and kingdom finance and all these John Maxwell things. And in his book, he randomly said, uh, my, my wife and I were having an argument, and while we were having this argue, argument, my wife looked at me and she said, John, you may be winning the argument, but you're losing my heart. And he said, what I realized was, is I was using all of my spiritual gifting just to burden someone so that I could win. We burden people. And what Paul is getting at here is it's our job to not burden people, but to carry people's burdens as we love them. Paul is telling us today to carry each other's burdens, not put more on people. Again, Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul continues in other letters about carrying people's burdens. In Romans 15, 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So care about those who are burdened. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage, 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 encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Amen? Part of our job as we 
follow and fulfill the law of Christ is to carry the burdens of others. So what I'm asking, are we willing to live a sacrificial life for Christ? See, because it's one thing in a worship moment, right? The pastor gets up here and he says, invite God in. Invite God in. Welcome him. Be like a crazy dog that hasn't seen their parents in a week. Inviting them in. Undignified. Invite them in. Invite them in. Invite them in. Come on. Invite them. Worship him. And then we leave here and we don't live sacrificially. We don't help lift the burdens of other believers. What good is an invitation for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come in and transform our lives, but then we leave the place, we leave the place that we invited him, and then we don't walk it out? Just because we have justice doesn't mean there's not um, responsibility. Just because there's justification doesn't mean there's not responsibility. We have to fulfill the law by carrying the burdens of one another. And you know what? Often carrying other people's burdens is inconvenient. Or I'll just ask the question, how many of you guys have ever had fun literally carrying someone's burden? I'm not talking about buying them a gallon of milk. Buying a gallon of milk is easy, right? If that's the hardest it got, then life's really good as a believer. When has it ever been easy to carry someone's burden? Now, burdens become easier to carry when the whole body does it, right? When the whole body participates. But what ends up happening is some of us feel like we're not good enough to participate, or others of us feel like I'm not ready to commit to the church at that level, or others of us feel like, yeah, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, or I just don't have time. We have to only have time for what the Bible says. But what we've done is we've filled our, our lives so full of recreation and career and finishing well on this side that we're so busy with our life that we've never set time for the things that God wants us to do. So I would participate babysitting Lloyd's daughters this week because they're seven and they need a babysitter. I'd participate, but Lloyd, I can't do that this week because I have baseball, I have soccer, I have 4-H, I have uh, to mow my grass, I have to, I have to, I have to. Now, I'm not saying that those things within themselves are inherently bad. But we've filled our lives so full of that that then we can't carry the burdens of others. Or take the church out, maybe someone on the soccer team has a burden. Well, we can't carry the burden of the soccer team because we've filled ourselves so full in other areas. You tracking with what I'm trying to say? If we're going to carry the burdens of others, we have to love them. And to love them means it's going to be sacrificial. So during the Christmas season of 1941, Edward J. Uh, Flanagan, uh, founder of the Boys Town Orphanage in Omaha, Nebraska, came across a line drawing by Van B. Hooper of a young boy carrying his brother with the caption that said this, He ain't heavy, mister. He's my brother. It's the motto of uh, the boy's town. He ain't heavy, it's my brother. He ain't heavy, it's my brother. 
I don't know if you can see the picture. You certainly can't read it. You see the picture, though. He ain't heavy, it's my brother. I believe what Paul is trying to help the church understand is this. It's Landon ain't heavy, he's my brother. No matter what Landon requires, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Jonathan, you're not heavy, you're my brother. Mom, you're not heavy, you're my brother. <laughs> Scott, you're not heavy, you're my brother. Bill, you're not heavy. Bob, you're not heavy. Stu, watching online later, you're not heavy. You're my brother. Caleb, you're not heavy. You're my brother. You're not heavy. You're my brother. Because within family, you see it as something that you're going to carry their burdens. Amen? And it's something that we have been called to do. Paul wants us and is instructing us to fulfill the law of Christ this way. I believe that this is a simple illustration to help us understand what Paul is talking about. We don't burden our family in Christ by, putting, by put, uh, putting them back under the law. Right? The only way that you can be holy is if you do this. The only way that you can be holy is if you get baptized. We don't burden people that way. But what we are called to do is not see them as burdens, but to see them as family. Right? We don't see each other as burdens. We see each other as family. He's not heavy. He's my brother. One author says this. Based upon the context, one way of bearing others' burdens is to gently restore those caught in sin. Beyond that, it means helping and supporting each other. The word bear means to carry the weight of the load. Stresses, worries, health problems, spiritual struggles are all types of weight that we carry. By listening to others with attentive and compassionate ears, we can help ease the load. Besides listening, we can pray, counsel, or serve. If someone is sick, we can make a meal for them. If someone is sad, we can take them out to eat. If someone is stressed, we can invite them over for prayer, dessert, and games. If someone is lonely, we can give them a gift and sit with them. To do these things, we need to have a relationship with other believers. We also need to be observant and sensitive. So far, Paul has made it known that burdens are reality for a fallen world. That we cannot figure our own mess out, that we need each other, and that bearing one's burden is a piece of fulfilling the law of Christ. So if we want to fulfill the law of Christ, we are to carry the burdens of other believers in this room and within the kingdom. Amen? Sacrifice. 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 It's really easy to call someone, isn't it? What's, what's preventing the church from calling one another? What's preventing someone from taking someone out to eat? Well, this 18th season of NCIS episode is coming out on Tuesday, so I have to catch that instead of taking Mark out to dinner. 
come on now, right? This episode or that episode or this requirement. If the worst thing that we have to sacrifice is the 18th season of NCIS Miami or Tokyo or wherever it is now, then we're not sacrificing much. Sacrificial. I think our church does a good job with food. I think our church does um, a good job with support in many of these areas. Um, I was really happy that um, Scott passed me going 110 on the highway to go up to see Jonathan. <laughs> and um, he didn't get far past me, so if he was going 110, what does that say about your pastor who always talks about speeding? I was pleased to see people up there from our, our, our church because I believe from Jonathan's perspective, this is a really far drive. Why, why, would our church, why would our church go up and support? I think our church wanted to support because we want to carry people's burdens. Why did people sneak into their house and give lasagna or cookies? Because we want to carry people's burdens. We have to be a church that carries people's burdens to put smiles on people's faces so that they can live freely for Christ. Um, even think of, as uh, Macy and I have needed help over the past couple years, we just text some people and people come help. It's that simple. Help relieved a burden. What took two hours <clears throat> for a group of people to do would have taken us maybe eight weekends. So we've just been highly thankful for people who are willing to help. Amen? So if you have a burden in your life, the other thing is you can't be prideful and try to hide it. I, I shouldn't let the church know about this. Why should they have to be burdened with my stuff? Because Scripture says that the church is supposed to carry people's burdens. That's why. Amen? <clears throat> so Paul is helping us now see what ends up happening is the reason why um, we don't carry people's burdens or we don't bear people's burdens is because pride gets in the way. <clears throat> Verse 3, if anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. I once, <clears throat> I once heard that while on a plane, Muhammad Ali was told to, Muhammad Ali was told to buckle up his seatbelt. <clears throat> The, um, what do they call them, um, stewardess, she came through and she said, sir, would you please um, buckle your seatbelt? And he said, Superman don't need no um, seatbelt. So she looked back at him and she said, Superman don't need no plane. Put on your seatbelt. <laughs> she got him. <laughs> So Muhammad Ali put on his seatbelt, and uh, they carried on. See, the idea that was being presented through that story was that Muhammad Ali thought that he was bigger than a seatbelt, that, that his character, that who he was, he didn't need what was being presented. There was pride that was puffing him up. We are not greater than anyone, no matter the success or failures God sees us all the same as children that he loves and that are in need of him. Amen? I don't care the success. I don't care how big your portfolio is. 
don't care the degrees that you have. You don't care whether you've lived in a 1,000 square foot house, a 500 square foot house. I don't care if you've lived or you're homeless right now. You are no less than the 5,000 square foot house. Amen? I don't care if you've been wearing the same clothes for 20 years. I don't care if people tell you you're good for nothing or not. We're all the same. Children of God who are in need of him. Amen? So we are not greater than anyone. Really, it comes down to two reasons why we don't bear people's burdens. Number one, um, by not bearing people's burdens, we are serving, by not bearing people's burdens, we are serving others. We are, by serving others, we are saying we are above the situation. So we don't serve other people. We are saying that we are above the situation. Your problem is not my concern. I'm above the situation. I'm not going to deal with it. Come on, who's been there? I've been there. I'm above this situation. I don't have time for this. I'm not going to deal with it. Just if I don't answer it, it'll go away. The other reason is probably by thinking we are not good enough or qualified to help those who are in need. Now, when we act that way, this displays that we don't trust God at his word and we are not being obedient. So we either think that we're bigger than the situation and we don't have time for it and we don't value God's word enough to help someone or we say, God, I don't trust you that you've equipped me to go help these people. So cognitive dissonance kicks in and says, I'm not good enough to help, so I'm just not gonna help at all. We've probably all been in both of those categories at one time or another. It's easy to deceive ourselves about our own righteousness. Preachers, uh, pastors, leaders, longtime churchgoers are particularly vulnerable to such things. And as I look across the room, the faces that I know, I know that we've been in church for a while. So that means most of us in this room are particularly vulnerable to prime. Why? Because we've been in... Uh, We've been around church for some time. We've been taught a lot of things. We understand the basic ideas, or maybe even more than the basic ideas of the Bible. Some of us may have, may have even been around the block long enough that um, we think that we are good people. And let's be honest, a lot of the times, we can all be hypocrites, right? Pride gets in the way. Pride gets in the way. So Paul helps us know, um, know how to discover all these things. He says this. He says, look, verse 4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Paul is simply and profoundly telling us that we are not to compare our actions to others. Now, whether you have a checklist at home or not of comparing yourself to others, subconsciously we compare ourselves to others. And I shared with um, the kids at school several weeks ago talking about sin and everything else. We won't go there, but I essentially, I remember being at a... Um, 
just graduated high school and I was at a friend's gathering and when I went there, I recognized that everyone was drinking. And kids have asked me before why I never drank. And um, one time particular, particularly, I said, because it's not legal for me to drink, so based upon it not being legal, I don't feel like it'd be honoring God, so I want to honor God and I don't drink. So that was a really good biblical answer. Well, I guess I was feeling like super prideful this night. I must have had on like a new shirt or something, American Eagle jeans or something. I was feeling good. And someone asked me, they said, Joey, why are you not drinking? Here's what I said. I said, I'm a good kid. The whole party. Music screeched. Screech! Everyone stops, grabs their beer. They're like, hold my beer. Well, I let this kid know. What do you mean you're a good kid? I don't drink. I want to honor God. Blah, 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 blah. And I've dug myself a hole. I'm a good kid. What was that? That was pride. See, that was pride evaluating and comparing myself. Here's their actions and here's mine. So they're drinking, I'm not drinking. So because they're drinking, I'm here and they're here. Scott's speeding faster than me. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's going, Scott here, me here, right? Speeding faster. I didn't say he was speeding and I wasn't. See, what pride does is pride compares to the person around us to elevate our, ourself. And it's hard to carry people's burdens when we think of every other person as an inconvenience or as if we're better than them. The reason why the church doesn't help other people is because we think that we're bigger than the mess that they're in. We think that we would never act that way. Or that, that we don't have sin like that in our life. The fact that the matter is, we all have sin within our life still. We don't like that sin. We shouldn't celebrate that sin. We should try to avoid that sin. But to start telling God that you should help, or they don't deserve me helping them because of their sin, is essentially telling God, well, I guess I don't deserve your, your grace and your mercy and your love either. We're called to carry one another's burdens. So pride cannot get in the way. Simply and profoundly, Paul is telling us that we cannot compare our actions to others. None of this, I've been going to church for 30 years. None of this, I haven't missed a single church service in five years. None of this, I am liked by more people. None of this, I give more money. None of this, they've done drugs, I haven't. They've been divorced, I haven't. They can't keep a job, I do. They, I have kids, they don't. None of this, I'm at 30 and they're 60. Or none of this, I'm 60 and they're 30. We're all on an equal playing field and pride cannot get in the way. We all need Jesus and we all need help. Rather, we are to evaluate our life in view of Jesus' life and his laws, not each other. Quit comparing yourself to one another and compare yourself to the life of Jesus and his rules. Amen?
his mercy, his sacrifice. This will prevent us from comparison and puffing ourselves up. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So when we just compare ourselves against one another, um, you know, as I've said before, whenever we went to pig sales, we always knew that there was going to be the best pig at that sale. But just because it was the best pig at that sale didn't mean it was a good pig. Now, other people have told me about guys at the bar and the same thing about guys at the bar. Right? There's always a pretty woman, but just because there's a pretty woman at the bar doesn't mean she's actually a pretty woman. Right? <laughs> there's always the prettiest woman somewhere. <laughs> so you can't compare, we don't compare pigs or women you certainly don't compare pigs and women together, right? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so if I say Macy's got a nice ham, that's too much. <laughs> it's my wife. But if I started to compare her ham to another ham, that's the issue. That's the issue. What we do, now I'm red in the face, I can feel it. <laughs> now look, what Paul is saying is, look, we don't compare ourselves to the group. Don't compare ourselves to the group. Compare yourself to Christ and his laws. Right? Comparing yourself to people is not wise. Comparing yourself to other people's sin is not appropriate. That's going to lead you nowhere. We are to look at our lives in view of Christ. And when we look at our lives in view of Christ, that should help us remain, remain humble. How can I be puffed up when I look at Christ? What do I have to give him? What do I have to offer him? Nothing. So if I compare myself to someone else who I think I understand their life, then I can puff myself up. So Paul continues, verse 5. For each one should carry their own load. Paul here is saying that there are legitimate and illegitimate needs. Because a part of the pressure that we're sensing now is Joey's saying... His interpretation of what Paul is suggesting or stating is we are to carry the burdens of one another and we are to live sacrificially. But then some of us are thinking, well, what about the people who just take advantage of us? Or what about the people who we feel like we are enabling? Or what about the people who are, yeah, whatever? Well, I'd always err on the side of helping someone. Always. But Paul is saying each one should carry their own load. So some people treat every situation as if it's a load. So some people call up Scott or call up Macy or Jonathan or Mark. Seems like every three days or Landon or Luke, every three days someone's calling them up. 
hey, I got a flat tire. Hey, I need gas. Hey, I need, um, I need help with my laundry. Hey, I need this. Hey, I need this. Hey, I need this. Hey, I need this. And a lot of these things that they're trying to ask for help from, help for seem to be basic life living. See, what Paul is getting at here is we all need to carry our own load. Sometimes I don't know how to fix a flat tire, and that's fine, but when Scott comes and teaches me how to fix the flat tire and provides me all the tools to fix the flat tire, then that means I don't need to call him the next time I get a flat tire, right? I don't need to burden him with that. I, I've been equipped. I've received impartation how to do it. So some treat every situation as if it's a load. Others act like nothing is a load, and they never want to ask for help. There are even people who think that everything in their life is a burden, and they occupy and take advantage of people for hours and hours and hours. Anyone ever have that person in your life where they just feel like they take advantage of you for hours and hours and hours and hours? And what Paul is telling us first, not that person, is this, carry your own load. Carry your own load. Do what you're supposed to do. Amen? See, there's emergencies, and then there's just normal life situations. Each person is to carry their own load. Everything is an emergency. But when the burdens come, we are to give help. Let's move on. Verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, because we have been um, going verse by verse, this is kind of a random verse. It's kind of like inserted in here where it makes me feel uncomfortable, but because we've been going verse by verse, it's not like I just picked this verse out to then talk about it. Um, but nevertheless, Paul isn't asking the Galatian church for money, as this may appear, but, um, yeah, we know from many of his other writings that he didn't want to receive money because he was preaching the gospel for free. But Paul has randomly added this verse in here. Um, so, yeah, what's going on? He could be doing this because the support, yeah, so he, he received support from the Philippian church. And I'm going to read that here. So, he wasn't asking for support because we know he received support from the Philippian church. Philippians 4, 15 through 18. Moreover, whoever, uh, sorry, moreover, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desired your gifts. What I desired is that, uh, is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So Paul inserts in the middle of 
him talking about carrying people's burdens. He, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And he's talking about finances and support for instructors, for teachers, for preachers. And that's um, kind of weird here. So why is he doing that? And he, he wasn't asking for himself. He was talking about if you have a teacher, if you have a preacher, they need to receive or they should receive money for that, some kind of giving for that, resources. And it makes me really weird, or it makes me feel really weird up here talking about that. But Paul was getting at, it is important to teach the church how to support leaders, both financially and materially, so that they commit, can commit time to preaching. You can find this concept throughout Scripture in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 1 Corinthians, yeah, 1 Corinthians 9, 11, 1 Corinthians 9, 14, 1 Timothy 5, 17, and Luke 16, 11. So Paul's saying, look, you can also carry the burdens of others, of leaders, by supporting them financially and materialistically, or not materialistically, but materially. But it's just weird to even talk about today, right? So we're trying to get through it. Um, Martin Luther once said this, Passages like this are important, yet can be awkward for the preacher. These passages are meant to benefit us ministers. I must say, I do not find much pleasure in explaining these verses. I am made to appear as if I am speaking for my own benefit. I personally echo what Martin Luther had said here. I don't share this verse out of, um, hey, let me tell the church, give me more money, help me more materially. I share the verse because it's verse 6 of Galatians chapter 6, and we've been going through verse by verse. Amen? So Luther continues to say this, I've often wondered why all the apostles reiterated this request with such embarrassing frequency. We have come to understand why it is necessary to re. Um, to repeat and add, um, to repeat the admonition of this verse. When Satan cannot suppress the preaching of the gospel by force, he tries to accomplish his purpose by striking the ministers of the gospel with poverty. So randomly he's saying, hey, look, also carry the burdens of teachers and leaders this way. Not my words, um, Paul's. So, nevertheless, we're going to get back to the main idea. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please, please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Paul brings up the idea of deception often in his writings. He brings it up here again. There's a lot of deception that's going on in our world and in our life today. That's why we need each other. Um, we must remember we can only sow in one of two fields, right? We sow in the field of the spirit or we sow in the field of the flesh. We need each other so that we're not deceived. Um, just often Macy will pick something off of my face that I never saw or I'll see something on her and pick it off 
I needed her to see something. She needs me to see something. One author says this, every time we allow our mind, mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain impure fantasy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing a seed to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company with insidious influence, we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. God wants us to create an environment where he is welcome. God wants an environment where he is welcome. He doesn't want an environment where we honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. See, we will eventually reap what we sow. If we don't connect with God here, if we don't invite him, if we don't welcome him, if we don't connect with him and surrender and have his blood poured over us, we will reap what we sow. What will that be? One day, it'll be away from me. I never knew you. But if we actually sow connection to him, if we actually sow obedience to him, we will reap that. And you know what that'll be? Get in here, you good and faithful servant. So, it's the simple truth. We reap what we sow. And God isn't going to be mocked, so we can't fake him out. We can fake a lot of each other out in here, right? We've all probably come in here some days full of sin, and we put on that church smile. How you doing? Isn't he faithful? And you put that smile on, and you're just faking it. You guys can be mocked. I can be mocked. God can't be mocked. We can't fake him out. Amen? He knows what we're reaping and what we're sowing. He knows what we're putting forth within our life. Now, here's what we've also learned through the book of Galatians is this, is when we meet him one day, it's not just about what we put forth. It's all about what his son did. Amen? So what we stand behind is him. So the remedy to reaping something good from what we sow is um, right here. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong in the family of believers. So what is he saying? The remedy to not sowing to the flesh is just continually doing good, continually bearing the burdens of one another. We are to be known as people who love, who are kind, who are caring, who are giving, who are patient, who are generous, and do good as often as possible. Romans 2, verse 7. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immorality, Immortality. I'm like, that is not right. 
Thank you. He will give eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. 1 Peter 2.15 For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish men. 1 Peter 3.17 It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that none of you repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the remedy to not sowing seeds of the flesh is doing good. Carrying the burdens sacrificially of those who are around us. Not worshiping our life, but worshiping him. And because we worship him, we help others. Again, we do not do good works to be saved. Rather, we do them because we are saved. Paul has been sharing to the Galatian church that the fruit of the Spirit is manifested at its highest degree when we love God and when we love people. Sacrificially. This means we live sacrificially. We will give out of our first fruits, not what we have left over. We will prioritize carrying people's burdens out of our first fruits and not what we have left over. Because we have areas in our life that are untouchable. And I'm not trying to get into your life and touch your life here either. But the way that we um, gear up our days is we say, here's the house that I have. And because here's the house that I need, then here's the job that I have to have. And here's how much money I have to make. And then here's how much money I have to put back. So it means this is how much overtime I have to make. And then once we get done with that whole week and then after all of our other extracurriculars, we then say, oh, I have 45 minutes to help someone this week. Or I can go relax and watch season 20 of NCIS. We need to give out of our first fruits. What if there was a church? What if there was a world? What if there was kingdom people that said, what I'm first going to do is ask God what he needs of me this week. I, I expect that he's going to give us our daily bread. So before I just commit, before I commit to working, before I commit to extracurriculars, I commit to Christ and ask how he wants me to love him and love others this week. Amen? Now, usually what he's going to do is he's not going to make you jobless. Usually what he's going to do is he's going to make you love people at your job. He's going to, love make, he's going to make you love people um, who are your neighbors. But we have to first think about how can we serve him out of our first fruits, just not the little bit that we have left over. Because what I recognize is, as I talk to a lot of people, we don't feel like we have much left over right now. It just feels like we're drained and we're busy and we're worn out. So we don't ever feel like we have anything left over. So if we don't ever feel like we have anything left over, then we need to put in, um, yeah, we need to 
put in the work of Christ in good, in love, out of our first fruits. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, help us sacrificially love you and um, follow you and love others sacrificially. Um, guide us this week. Make things clear to us. May we all carry our own weight, but also not be too prideful to ask for help. In Jesus' name, amen.